everyone. Thanks for joining. Today, I am speaking with Linda Blade. Linda is the co-author of Unsporting, How Trans Activism and Science Denial Are Destroying Sport, and she co-authored that with Barbara Kay. And Linda is also a sports performance coach and a PhD in kinesiology. Hey, Linda, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you very much, Obed. Um, so I've been following you for a little bit on Twitter, and then I, I have to admit, I haven't read your book i just there's just too much to read right now apparently yeah and i'm no that's but I, I will get around to it but i mean i've been talking to a lot of people on the issue of trans activism and mm-hmm. um and but i'd like to come at it from a canadian perspective because most of the people i've spoken mm-hmm. to are from the states except for um um what's his uh chris uh eccleston well, billboard chris so i mean yeah billboard chris chris yeah. elson yeah. yeah so i mean like i said it's you know, everything I've looked at is from a from an American standpoint, but as far as I can tell, we're so much worse off than so many places when it comes to the, like the trans trans ideology and gender yeah. activism and all that. And yeah, so like if you wouldn't mind giving like 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 talking briefly about like I guess your profession and like coaching and mm-hmm. you know development in sport and then yeah how then we can get into how the activism is affecting that because I mean. Right. It's not the only thing, but it's, you know, it is a fairly yeah. large thing in my mind. Yeah. Well, it might be important to know that in my early life, I started out actually in um, South America. Uh, I was born in South America and played soccer in the streets, a little bit of a tomboy. Um, I got to see Pele play in person at the local stadium when I was, you know, nine. Um, and so basically came up and then came to Canada in high school got a scholarship, but I was very good at track and field by then. Um, and I immediately, um, I only gave, came to Canada in grade 10, but in British Columbia, I, I competed well. I was outstanding athlete of the year in BC. And immediately I was recruited to the NC2A in the States. Um, so I was on full scholarship in heptathlon at the University of Maryland. And then I was, I, was, I got, they got me to come back to, you know, after I finished my bachelor's degree uh, to train for the Canadian Olympic team. Didn't quite make the Olympic Games, but I made the national team for many international things like Commonwealth Games, Pan Am Games. Um, and then um, then I got my Ph.D. in sports sciences and kinesiology. Spent a little bit of time in Africa and in, in, in the Middle East um, after I retired from the sport. Um, teaching women how to coach girls. Uh, I was in Africa with my husband, who's an agronomist. So he was working with farmers. And um, yeah, so I was sort of had an international life, came back to Edmonton uh, because that's where my husband is from. And then uh, just started coaching privately. Um, you know, I'm track and field. I have a, I, I can help people. Like if you're a soccer player and you want to run faster, um, I can take you and maybe help you to be a better runner. Uh, if you're a figure skater, you want to jump higher. Uh, I can do that. So I've got, you know, I've worked with athletes in about 17 different sports, helping them with their sport specific fitness. So making them, you know, better athletes, improving their athleticism. And, um, as a person who was in this world for quite a while, by 2014, I was elected as president of track and field in Alberta, athletics, Alberta. And it was only in that capacity 
that I was at a policy meeting nationally, and all of a sudden I was confronted with gender ideology, with this idea that somebody could show up to a competition, declare whatever category they want to be in, and we're just supposed to honor that. And that's just seemed insane to me. I mean, sport is about rules and regulations and guidelines and stratification and and of course, with a PhD in biology, human biology, kinesiology, it didn't make sense to me that a male person who was born male could just suddenly show up and decide to run with women. And being who I am, I am not in the habit of just going along. I mean, I, I don't know. I just looked around the room and I just said, well, this can't happen. Like, what's going on here? And uh, so that was the beginning of my deep dive into... Canadian, I don't know, so secular religion, I should say, I guess, which is what gender ideology really is. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's got a lot of cult-like aspects to it. It does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's the it's the the denialism. Like <laughs> you're sitting in a room full of people who should know better, and we're all in sports, and we all know the difference between world records, male world records, and female world records. And yet somehow we're just not supposed to say these things. We're not supposed to say that men are different than women anymore. Um, how is that possible? But I mean, like with something like that too, I'm just curious. So the people coming up with these decisions, so, yeah. I mean, it's an athletic organization. So you're assuming mm-hmm. people are athletes or have something to do with sport at one way or another. Absolutely. Yeah. But are these people who are coming up with this, like the HR types who have never been in sport or no. you know like is it also because i know like i'm seeing it lately coming out of like you know biology departments for a couple of years but now i see it coming out of like you know chemistry and physics as well so i'm just yeah. curious like where like where that impetus <clears throat> is coming from well babe, i think it came from um initially from um social scientists and bureaucrats in the world of sport where there was the initial um, idea of trying to be quote unquote inclusive of, of gay rights. And, and then it just it took on this thing, like we were all seeing that LGB turns into T and Q. And what's astonishing in Canada is that the entity in sport in this country that's pushing this ideology is called the Canadian Center for Ethics in Sport. And CCES, you have to kind of understand, is sort of a standalone, not-for-profit, but it's in charge of anti-doping. And they were the, the entity that got created after the Ben Johnson scandal, if people, some of your listeners may not remember, but a Canadian Ben Johnson got caught with steroids in the 1988 Olympics. It was a huge national scandal and shame and blah, blah. And by about 2003 there was this entity created that would the main mandate of this group Canadian center for ethics and sport. And I'll call it CCES CCES mandate was to go around the country and make sure that Canadian sports knew about how not to cheat about how not to be caught doping. And so they, they also um, have the funding then to do doping control tests and that sort of thing. And if you look at their annual reports, uh, of course, they have to list them on their website. And I had to do a deep dive on that because I tried to figure out what's going on. 
all of their reports up until about 2013 were all, of course, about their mandate, about what they're doing in communities to help uh, with the anti-doping protocols. Uh, and all of a sudden, in 2014 and 15, now we had this thing seeping in about um, inclusivity, and and then <clears throat> they came up in 2016, 15, 16, they, they formed a group, and that was purely ideological, all activists on the left. And now they have this thing that they're promoting the most extreme version of inclusivity um, in terms of a male should be able to allow, uh, allowed to compete with females, irrespective, no surgery required, no hormonal treatment required, pure self-ID. And I find it to be so hypocritical and antithetical to their mandate because if, if you take, let's say you cheat and you take drugs to, to help enhance your sport, um, doping will only help maybe maximally add nine to 10% to performance, which is massive. But if you allow a male athlete to compete with, uh, with females, with women, especially after puberty, that person could have as much as 50 to 160% advantage which is way greater advantage than doping itself. But uh, somehow that part is good and that's the part we should be promoting and yet doping is bad. And so it's really confusing how this particular national organization has somehow been captured by the left and is promoting this ideology in a way that again, is completely antithetical to what their mandate was supposed to be. Just one thing. Like, because you mentioned the dates, like 2015, 2016. Yeah, so 2015-16 was kind of when they got their report out about promoting transgender in sport. And now they go around the country and to all of the annual general meetings of each of the sports, like if it's rugby, track and field, soccer, whatever, and they try to convince boards of directors to sneak these words into their um, policy behind the scenes, like the membership in sport, people on the ground playing sport hardly ever understand that these things are seeping into the rule books. Um, but I somehow caught it because I was on the gender committee and I was there when they were trying to put it into track and field. And I said, no way, this can't happen. And I'm still, I'm still, as of even a month ago, I had to stand in the AGM and stand my ground and say, Athletics Alberta does not agree to put this terminology into the um, eligibility standards and guidelines. Like one of the things I was thinking about the, like the, the timing of that was that was when the gender based analysis plus mm -hmm. really got fired up in the government. Cause I mean, it, mm -hmm. it, you had that in there, I think since like the late nineties, I could be wrong about mm -hmm. that though, but mm -hmm. it was just kind of like, okay, here it is. But when Trudeau got in, he made that, like you had to have those reports. Now I know they didn't re release a report for C16. I'm just wondering yeah. when that was like around that time it had gotten into the government. So if it had gotten to the government, then this is coming down saying you're going to have to do this stuff in all departments. Mm -hmm. So, well, you know, that's interesting. That's what I thought too. But what it turns out to be is the people who were social activists in sport trying to get this, they kind of came in from, pardon the pun, but it's true, left field. And it wasn't sort of top down, apparently, because 
I now know there are people within Sport Canada, which is sort of, you have the Ministry of Sport, then Sport Canada, and then the individual sports. Sport Canada being the main funding agent for all of the sports that gets the funding from the taxpayer to support sport. They still haven't not made it a mandate for sports to adopt this ideology. It's still just being pushed. So I think the push is coming from individuals from this standalone CCES and they're trying to convince the ministry of sport. And, and, and of course they're kind of partnering with ministry, like the people in Trudeau ministry, trying to put pressure on sport Canada as a bureaucracy and the individual sport governing bodies, but it isn't a direct mandate yet. So in terms of it's not, your t- funding for sport in this country is not predicated on m- needing to accept that ideology, which is fantastic news. But a lot of the sports organizations don't know that. They think they're being told by the left, this left-wing CCES group that this is just great. Inclusivity is the thing, is the way to go. Um, gender ideology is the thing that you have to accept. And they're pretending like funding will, will depend on it. And so a lot of sports are just adopting the phrase, the phrases in their, in their package and their, their governance packages without under the impression that, that this is something that's supposed to happen. And it's not really, it's not a real mandate yet. And, and I don't know how long we can hold out, but to, to this date in 2022, the government of Canada and through the minister of sport, has not told us specifically this has to be in our guidelines. Okay, but on that then, like with something like C4, mm-hmm. if gender affirmation is the only thing you can give, otherwise it's considered conversion therapy. If you don't mm-hmm. allow you know, a biological male who IDs as a woman mm-hmm. to participate, then you are no longer affirming that gender. So is that not like a breach of the criminal code or something at that point? Well, so there's, this is where it gets really complicated in Canada because the Charter of Rights and Freedoms says you can't discriminate on the basis of sex, at least in the 1980, what was it, 81, 83. That, that version, of course, our charter still does mention sex, biological sex, and you cannot discriminate against women and girls on the basis of sex. And that Bill 16 says you have to affirm gender identity, gender expression. But not allowing a male to enter the woman's sport is not necessarily failing to acknowledge gender identity. Like that person can still dress like a woman, but still compete with men because in sport, we, we profile biological sex. And if you allow a man to enter a woman's event, that would be considered discrimination on the basis of sex because he has an advantage. So there's this, um, there's a, struggle going on right now between the concept of what is the charter standing for and what does bill c16 sound for but it's the same idea if you talk about for example um male rapist in a woman's prison because the rapist decides he wants to self-identify as a as a woman that's not the only solution available a person can identify a male inmate could could identify as a woman and still have a special branch of the men's prison to be in. You could make accommodate a safe space for that person 
there's nothing that really, I mean, the legislation doesn't get that granular to tell prison warden, you must put this man in a woman's prison, but they do it because they feel like that's what they should be. Inter- it's that it's their impression <clears throat> that that's what they think they're supposed to be doing. But the legislation never actually explicitly said that's what you have to do. So I would say the same thing in sport is we had for 20 years, and I think you would probably recall this in our whole society since the nineties, uh, 1990s, we had this thing about no bullying. Like it was throughout the schools and everything, no bullying, no bullying. And we spent a lot of time with our sport policy about people can, you know, if a, if a Muslim girl came and she wanted to wear hijab in a race, like don't bully that person. They have the freedom to do that. Um, so we've, we spent all this time saying, well, you shouldn't bully people on the various basis of their identities and their whatever religious expressions and all this. But then all of a sudden, along comes gender ideology and somehow, somehow what their gender identity is supposed to trump all other aspects of someone's identity uh, and to the detriment of a lot of other people. And I just say, look, if you're male and you want to self-identify as a woman, go ahead and run with the men. You can dress as a woman and nobody's going to bully you because we've spent 20 years focusing on no bullying and it should be able, you should be able to achieve that. And we would all recognize, in fact, it would be far more <clears throat> obvious that you are self-identifying as a woman if you're running that way in a man's race. And we could all celebrate that, that you could look that way if you want in a male race and we would not bully you. So there's a lot of other ways to accommodate gender expression within sport without having to violate the fairness to female athletes. Hey, I'm 100% behind you. I'm just going to play slight devil's advocate. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That's my pushback because of anybody who would say that I'm not, I know you're not saying that, but I, this is the thing that we need to say. And this is what I say in the meeting rooms. Yeah. But like what I'm like, if I was a gender activist, right. So, Mm-hmm. Like I've read enough gender theory and queer theory to like get mm-hmm. what you know what they're trying to say. What, but, what their argument is. Yeah. yeah. Now the fact that you know that biological male is identifying as woman as a female, yeah. you know, trans women are women, right? So mm-hmm. you know, birthing people, right? Or you know, like all that kind of nonsense. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if if a trans woman is a woman and if someone who sells IDs as a trans, you know, as a trans woman is now a woman by asking them to go in the male competition, you're denying their identity that is causing them harm and they identify as a woman. So they should be allowed to participate with a woman because trans women are women. And as soon as you identify, that's what you are. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's their argument. I mean, like I hear that from I hear you know variations of that from MPs. I hear variations mm-hmm. of that from Trudeau and and Singh. Yeah. It's, so that's know. why in sport, so we ex- acknowledge that, um, <clears throat> and that's why the and in my book and in sport we're offering the following solution. If you don't want to have 150 categories because there's 150 distinct genders, we still we still have sport on the basis of biological sex. But if being called a man is hurtful to that person, we can do the following. 
we can say female, there's female, there's a protected female category. And then instead of men's category, we just have it as open. And anybody can then who identifies differently is simply um, placed in the open. Um, and that also goes for um, the option would be there for female athletes who want to identify as men. They could also go to the open. But, you know, it's interesting, <laughs> Obeyed. The females, and now with the younger generation, a lot more female to male trans, or female to man, I guess that's how it would work, female to man trans in the younger generation. And most of those um, young female athletes, you know, because there's a difference between biology, sex, and gender. So if we say female, we mean biology, no matter how you identify. So the female athlete category more often than not contains all the trans who happen to be female and they're perfectly happy to stay in that category. So they're not being insulted by having to stay in the, uh, a category labeled female because they know the truth. If they went over to the men's section or the open, they would lose every time. And so the only group that is remains outstanding that needs placement somewhere are the males to woman type people who want to identify as a woman, they seem to be hurt by the label more than the female ones, right? So they want to, they want to come into the women's category because they want to have their, their gender affirmed, but it's the female category. And therefore, if, if we call men's category open, why would they not just stay there? I mean, if, if the women, if the females who are trans can handle staying in the female group, the, the males who are trans should be able to do the same thing. And because it doesn't matter, we don't ask people's religion. Like this is an ideological thing, right? Like yeah. you're still male, but we don't ask your religion or anything else. We don't ask what your politics are when you come into a race. All we want to know is were you born female or born male? But if you do want to have this option, of an open category, we can do that. And that's the category where men and trans and whoever else can go in that open category and they won't be, they won't be hurt by the label. Okay. I'm going to be a cynic here. And I can, the only reason I can think of why the males would want to go in the female category, whereas mm -hmm. the females wouldn't want to go in the male category is okay. Athletes in general are competitors. Yes. Oh, they want to win. Mm -hmm. The males who want to go in the female category, well, they know they have an advantage. You know, I mean, you just no look one. at all the all, all the stats and everything, and it just mm -hmm. you know, they like they uh, they have, yeah. So, and whereas the the females know if they stay in the female category, they still have a fighting chance. That's whereas right. if they go, if, if they go in the male category, they're going to lose. Yeah. So and I mean, so, sport is not the venue where you can have your various identities affirmed necessarily. It really has nothing to do with ideology. It's that we're competing on the basis of our physical reality. And it's very clear and they'll, they'll deny it, but it's very clear that the trans, the male born trans who want to identify as women, they know exactly why they're going into the women's category. And that is to win. So <clears throat> it's, it's, they can deny it. And some would say, oh, that nobody, in fact, the head, the, the CEO of the CCES, Canadian Center for Ethics and Sport, said, never 
in the history of sport has a has a man um, um, gone, you know, pretended to be a woman for the sake of winning in in sport. Like it's just, it's just wrong. He's wrong. It's just not right. Like, and you can't you can't prove intent. Oh yeah, he, he uses the word masquerading. Never in the history of sport has a male masqueraded as a woman just to win in sport. It's just not, that's just, it's just ridiculous. And, you know, it's just, um, it's, it's, it's clearly that they start from, from the premise of a belief system and then they try to fit everything into that. So that's just no different than all the other religions where you start with a belief system and then all of your explanations about the world, whether that's sport or anything else, fits into that um, socio-religious cultural framework. And you're just trying to frame it like that. And that's what's happened with gender ideology. You're, and then, you know, I grew up and part of the, part of the reason where, why I was in South America as a Canadian was my parents were Christian missionaries who were translating the Bible from Spanish into the language of the Incas, which, you know, so I was in, in a fundamentalist religious community and I saw how that works too. You know, like I see, I was very, I grew up in that sort of fundamentalist kind of environment. And I, 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 I know how that works. You start with a certain uh, religious framework and then everything, every explanation about what's going on in the world does fit into that and you make it fit into that framework. So I know how this works. So the CCS comes along and now they just believe that somebody can be born in the wrong body or, you know, people can identify as anything they want and magically they turn into that thing. Uh, and so they then, they then just package that into sport. And, and, but it's not starting from evidence-based anything. It's starting from a religious belief system, which has been adopted by so many institutions in Canada. And, and then you're just trying to force it into a certain context like sports. Okay, so kind of on this, like one of the one of the things you mentioned about like young girls who are transitioning at a faster rate. Now I've spoken to a few people about this, mm-hmm. and it's something like four thousand percent increase. Yes. You know, I mean, and what was it recently? I just read something where pediatricians in Canada can, like, you can just like they can just pretty much without any diagnosis just give out um, like puberty blockers and hormones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it was just. Like they didn't basically don't have to do anything. It was just like some, I just read an article about how like they even made it even more lax now to get that. <clears throat> are you wow. seeing, are you seeing any effects in your work of like kids who are taking puberty blockers or hormone therapy or something? And is that you affecting know, like their develop? Like, I mean, obviously it's affecting their development. Yeah, but like what's, what's that doing be. to them? Yeah. Well, to be honest, a lot of them aren't coming into sport. So the young girls who are female are like, they're trying to have a male man, like identify as a man or a boy, even though they're female. Um, I think they're so from what I've seen there might, I noticed in soccer in especially in British Columbia, I've heard there's quite a few in soccer, but I haven't run into too many yet in my sport in Alberta. And I think what it is is, um, these girls are already psychologically struggling with so many different things. Um, for them to go into sport is, is probably just an extra extra energy. They don't want to spend doing other things because I, I just imagine that your whole uh, maybe I'm I'm wrong on this, but 
when a person decides that they're in the wrong body and then you're spending all your time taking hormones and trying to fit into the other identity, uh, there's a lot of effort and psychological energy going into that thing. And a lot of them are not in coming into sport. Does that make sense? Like a lot of them are in arts and other things. And anyway, according to our rules, our biology based rules, which we still have in athletics, Alberta, if, if a young girl is taking testosterone, of course that that's doping, right? So that person would be ineligible and would either have to compete with the boys or stop and and have a, some sort of exemption or something. I don't know, but we'd have to deal with that, but it hasn't been requested yet. Okay. I mean, like you, you know, you've talked about this being an ideology and a religion and I I agree. There's, there's a lot of similarities, Yeah, but I'm just curious. It's a belief system, a system Uh, of faith based, like, I don't know what even what to call it, but it's definitely based on, you have to start from a belief. It's dogma. Mm-hmm. It's a dogma more, you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean. It's, yeah, it's a dogma. It's a cult, uh, some sort of thing. But I'm just curious about, like, because you'd mentioned your parents uh, were doing missionary work. Yeah. Like, I, I started, when I started seeing this go through K through 12, Yeah. You know, I'm like, okay, now you've got woke madrasas. So, you know, mm-hmm. the universities are seminaries. These are woke madrasas. Right. So right. It's true. What do you see in the school system? Or do you see anything like that in the school? Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, the indoctrination in schools is tremendous in this country. I mean, I think that's why Canada is so far ahead, ahead or behind, yeah. <laughs> whatever. It, so far into this deep into this ideology is that it's being taught right from kindergarten grade one in some, in some schools in some contexts and some parents say, well, they don't have it in my school. But then I look at the next parent says, yeah, no, no, definitely. They're, put, they're pushing that. And it's called SOGI one, two, three social, uh, sexual identity, um, sexual orientation and gender identity. Sex, sex, yeah. That's what it is. Sexual orientation. And, yeah. So basically um, it's in the schools, it's in the high schools, it's in, um, the universities for sure. Um, and, you know, if that's all you hear growing up in your society, that is the state religion. I mean, that, that, I don't know how I can say it differently. It's, it's just supposed to be accepted as that's the thing we believe in. That's the way it is. And that's how it's being portrayed. And like I say, I've been there. I'm sure you've been there. Um, in terms of in a certain religious context, that's kind of how it has to be too, right? Like you have to just accept certain things, but one would hope that in secular society, you're allowed to question such dogmas. You're allowed to say, show me the evidence, show me, you know, prove to me that just because you think a thought, you can change every single cell in your body to the opposite sex. Show, prove that to me that nobody's proven that to anybody. Yeah, but I mean, again, I think this, like you talked about the the, the no bullying stuff. So yeah. some of this comes down to that sentiment. Mm-hmm. You, know, I, I, you know, yes, no bullying, great. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't bully mm-hmm. people. Right. But I don't know if you ever, and I keep bringing this book up a lot, but it's uh, Kindly Inquisitors by Jonathan Roach. I don't know if you ever read it. I've not read it. I'm going to write it down. So he talks about 
uh, I mean, the book was really prescient, but he talks about the early 90s, like the late 80s, early 90s, so that when the political correctness stuff was around back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says there's two, like he calls enlightenment values. He's, he says that's, you know, that's liberal science. And he says there's two attacks on liberal science. It's the humanitarian threat and the authoritarian threat. So the authoritarian threat was, you know, the religious right and like, all that kind of stuff. Like, and then the humanitarian threat, it was couched in the language of, well, we need these speech codes on universities because we don't want to be racist. Like, you know, mm-hmm. let's not be homophobic. Yeah. Let's not be sexist. Right. right. So, you know, and they're taking that virtue and they're pushing it so far, they're turning it into a vice. And That's so, exactly right. You know, gone too far. Let's not be transphobic, which, yeah, fine. Mm-hmm. People should have the right to live their lives as they see fit. But society, I mean, like, you know, parents, you know, I guess society in general does have a responsibility towards children because mm-hmm. they're minors. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. they can't make these life altering decisions at six and we shouldn't give six year olds, mm-hmm. you know, puberty blockers and whatever. Um, so like that, that <clears throat> sorry, just around, uh, but like, I mean, that whole idea of giving, you know, like we have to accept that identity. We, we, we can't be bull- We can't bully these people mm-hmm. because that's their identity. And it's, they wrap up so much. Okay. So like, I noticed this with Islam a lot. If you criticize Islam, you'll get mm-hmm. a certain section of Muslims who, you know, you're criticizing Islam. So you're criticizing me because I am a Muslim. Exactly. I am Islam. That's true. And, that's and what it, it is. Yeah. And so they've wrapped their identity so much into that. Mm-hmm. But like, it's hard to even criticize it. So that's where, I mean, mm-hmm. that's where as, it's the same. Yeah. As soon as you t- accept those inclusion statements and all that, you've kind of left yourself open where you have no way out now. Like it's, you know, the yeah. only way to win this game is to not play it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And truthfully, <clears throat> when you say it's gone too far, you know, it's gone too far when profiling the no bullying of one side, if you're pushing that to the nth degree where everybody else in the system gets bullied, you know, you've gone too far. The whole point in a secular society is that we balance the rights of everybody and you can identify and say who you are, or what you are, but that the minute a male body goes into women's sports, that's, that is tantamount to two things, misgendering the women mm-hmm. <laughs> because you're basically a male now coming into a women's category and you're calling, so you're misgendering everybody around you in a sense, but more, more than that, you're basically bullying them in the sense that you are using your body. That is a completely different category of body and should be in a different category in sport to basically have an advantage. And that's bullying of, because the bullying happens when the women and the female athletes aren't allowed to, protest or allowed to say no um and so you know something's gone too far when that situation arises that everybody else's rights now take are secondary to this person and um you know that that it, it's interesting because just again i i alluded to the meeting i had with in well we were all as provinces meeting in halifax a month ago to have you know, since 2018, since had come up when I was first on that gender committee back, what got me started into this, this deep dive 
uh, four years ago, we finally had our two hour debate on it in Halifax a month ago and um, inside the room. And so all the provinces were there, presidents and CEO and uh, executive directors and Athletics Canada had uh, boards, you know, the board. And, um, you know, that basically when you looked at the policy they were proposing, they wanted us to vote on it that weekend. And they, when you look at what they were proposing, it was all about the trans person. There was nothing in it about where, what are we doing to accommodate the female or like, how do you protect the female athletes and all this? And that's what the Olympic committee does too. It's just this whole thing of the only thing that matters is this trans person. And somehow the women's category, everybody else in the women's categories, it's like, it's just big template. It's like this white sheet of paper on an easel that, that the trans person wants to write upon. There's nobody representing the vast, majority all these women in the women's category the women's category is just one big blank thing that you're trying to push trans onto and you're not considering every single female athlete in that category they literally said we didn't write it with with the female athlete in mind we wrote it from the perspective of trying to uh, to uh include the trans person well you can't you if that's the only person you're caring about and that person is like 0.13 percent of the population that you're going to bring that person in and, and ruin the entire category that you're bringing that person into. Obviously you're saying these people in the big white blank category called female athletes have no rights. That can't be right. Yeah. I, okay. But that's, you know, like, okay. All that, like I'm agreeing with everything you said. I'm just, for me, it's some of these optics. Yeah, and I mean, I, I when I say optics, they like they matter because okay, we just went through COVID. You know, whatever Trudeau's finally relaxing the the vaccine mandates on travel and this and that. But mm-hmm. you know, follow the science. The people telling you yeah. to follow the science are also telling you that men can get pregnant. That's the thing. You know, that's I, the thing. It's contradictory. You know, I, if you if you can't get basic biology right. Why should I listen to you about vaccines? It's the, mm-hmm. I mean, there's been a huge drop in trust in institutions mm-hmm. and it's, I mean, it's been slowly going down since I guess around 2005 or so, maybe a yeah. little bit earlier, but the last two years, it's just, you know, just a, basically just a cliff drop. Right. And like, when you put out messages like that, like what are people supposed to believe? And then, you know, like when I say the optics, like it's, the lack of trust is going to create, and you mentioned you'd be in the Middle East and Africa, mm-hmm. but if you like look at places like Iran, you look at places like Saudi, or mm-hmm. you know go to other authoritarian places where the people know yeah. that the state controls all the messaging. Mm-hmm. Conspiracy theories just pop up everywhere, so right, you know, you're going to have the overcorrections. You're going to have people go too far. You're going to have people mm-hmm. say, you know, who are opposed to the trans rights activists but they're just gonna go completely off the deep end on the other side like right I mean, and it's mm-hmm. you know, we're like oh well you need to have that trad wife and all this stuff and i mean i've seen mm-hmm. people on like you know, twitter where oh once the woman's past uh, childbirthing age uh, she's no longer useful to you so you can get rid of her. i mean like like mm, interesting you know, <laughs> well yeah, yeah but yeah, but i mean like, but, <laughs> but you yeah, know no. but they're, they're pushing back against the far left and it's you know it's the far right yeah. it's just yeah yeah you know, yeah no, i get what you're saying if there's the push and the pull and mm-hmm. um if we live in a pre-society which i would hope we do 
uh, and again, secular, we need a space where even those most extreme ideas can be presented, but then there has to be a dialogue where the countervailing argument is also presented. That's yeah. how the system works. And, and what I find is so alarming about this, or whether it's the vaccines or whether it's anything, with this particular government in Canada, the orientation seems to be, we're going to go with this dogma and anybody who, who wants evidence or argues in any other direction, they're the bad guys. It's, it's absolutely divisive. Um, it, it does not, um, it, it does not allow for cohesiveness in society where we're all getting heard, where we're understanding. And in fact, it, you know, quite rightly, I'm appalled that, I mean, I suppose because it was an emergency situation and it was like COVID was, <clears throat> came out and every, and it, we didn't know how dangerous it was at the beginning. So the lockdowns initially were probably completely justified because they were trying to get a handle on it. But what, what was I found really quite alarming was the medical director or what do you call the medical uh, chief medical officer of every province became the premier and the premier stood back and just let that person set the policy. What should have happened is the, the medical personnel. Yes. The, the chief medical <clears throat> officer of each province should have said, this is what we think based on the data we're looking at, this is what we think should happen. You should all stay at home and blah, blah, blah. Nobody go to school. But then it's the job of the politicians to say, okay, but we also have people, we all, our job is to consider the bigger context of society. People need to have jobs. They need to go to school. They, so let's, given what you've said about medical safety, what about all these other things? And that has, our legislatures were supposed to debate that. But because we're so afraid to go against now, this is the dogma of the moment. We're not going to, it's, it's like I, I watch premiers across this country stand back and let the medical person just dictate whatever that policy had to be. And whether, no matter whether it had to be on, you know, on education, the impact on education, on business, on, on innovation, like all these other things and, and even food supply or whatever, all these other things kind of took a back seat and as if like they didn't matter and like cancer patients not getting therapy because somehow we have to put them on hold. Like it, it just, it was a singular focus on one thing without a very liberal, and I'm talking about classical liberal, like socially, like as far as democratic ability to come together and say, let's have a real debate and listen to everybody and what the impact is going to be. And maybe we might get our policy right. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I don't want to linger too much on COVID, but it was. No, after I, but it's the same idea. It's yeah, like, you're just supposed yeah. to accept something. Exactly. And not argue and not ask for evidence. Like at the very start of it, same thing. Okay. The lockdowns happened because we were seeing pictures coming out of China and like Italy and places like that. And it was like mm -hmm. really bad. You see like, you know, 10 pages yeah. of obituaries and stuff out of Italy. And sure. So when Sweden went the other route, I was very critical of them because you could see like I was, I was home on medical leave, so I had nothing else to do. So I was just yeah. tracking data and you can mm -hmm. see like the cases in Sweden rise and all that. I'm like, these people are crazy, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. by that fall mm -hmm. and it, you know, 
Denmark and Norway weren't as open as Sweden, but they were more open than we were. So you had some data sets that showed you Mm -hmm. that not locking down was not as bad as locking down. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I'm talking about. We didn't learn quickly as we went because we weren't allowed to discuss it. Yeah. I mean, it was the same thing with, um, and it's, it's the, it's response to it. So when they, when they try to look at that lab in Manitoba that had apparently worked with the, you know, the Chinese government, mm. as soon as that question was brought up, like you were called a racist. Exactly. And, you know, and it's also, if you question the trans stuff, you're called a transphobe. If you question, right. you know, you question that lab in, in Manitoba. Okay. You're a racist. Cause you're putting on mm-hmm. the Chinese. It's like, well, let's at least take a look at what happened. Like what information did you mm-hmm. give them? What happened? And it's the same thing with this debate. Like if you, yeah. you know, if I question that Jenice, Jessica Yaniv, you know, when mm-hmm. when Jessica's asking to get, you know, shave my balls, like maybe you might want to consider that Jessica is a man or a male right. at least. You know, like that's right. like reality has to kick in at one point or other. You know, and that was bullying of the aestheticians. Like oh, yeah. there is no question that man, that man, I'm going to call mm-hmm. her man. Because uh, you can't demand respect if you don't respect other people. Mm-hmm. And that man was bullying all of those women for, for his own ends. Yeah. And I mean, I, a lot of people were like, oh, I see the, the justice system work because, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Yanov lost the decision. I'm like, did you actually read the decision? The only reason, you know, she lost or he lost or whatever, I, I don't know anymore. I mean, like, was because. Like the, the, the court said that Jessica Yaniv was not a compelling witness. And then like this thing had been thrown out a few different times. She tried things like this previously. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's where the issue is. Like it's, mm-hmm. they weren't, because they even refer to the, uh, the OJ case where mm-hmm. trans rights trumped religious rights, rights in that case. And so they, mm-hmm. but because Yaniv was such a lousy witness and because, you know, there'd be multiple claims of this kind of stuff. It was thrown out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, right. it wasn't just and, a- and again, bullying, like yeah. we have to understand in our system, just because you claim <clears throat> to have a special identity doesn't give you Trump card to bully others. And, and I guess that's, you know, um, and, and that, I guess that's my point is that, the rest of us and somebody in my position who's representing a provincial sport governing body, we have to put the big boy pants on when it comes to the meetings and call a spade a spade and just basically say, there's no, there's not, a, there's, tr- there's your, your position is lacking in truth and in verifiability. And um, you just have to be able to say that because if we are too afraid to actually say that in the room, Inside the room, <laughs> what are, we're nowhere. Yeah. I mean, okay. We're nowhere if we can't sit there and at least as leaders say, um, that's not going to work for me. That doesn't seem right to me. Oh, yeah. Someone has to say the emperor's got no clothes on. I mean, it's exactly. Yeah. Um, look, and you know to... what? I can tell you the truth in that meeting in Halifax. If I hadn't said that, if I hadn't been the one room, one person in a room of 30 people, to push back and say these kinds of things, what about the female athlete? What about the female athlete? What about the, the advantages that are being brought in? 
If I hadn't sat in that room and said that, we in this very moment would have a new policy nationally in, tra in track and field in Canada that a, a man, a male athlete could come to a, a, a race, any competition and self-identify without like just tomorrow. And then they could change back anytime they want. Yeah. So one person, it takes one person in the room to just say, sorry, let's think about this a little bit more. So we're going to think about it for six more months, maybe in six more months, more people will see the light, but at least there's a delay. I don't want to keep you too, too much longer, but I just, one kind of last question and then I'll let yeah. you have the floor. Um, sure. Do you think things like Leah Thomas, like out of Virginia, do you think because that got so publicized, that helps bring awareness to Absolutely. the average person and then they see the ridiculousness no of it? Or, you know. No question, no babe. No question. That was the biggest thing that happened in sport that to show how disingenuous, how disingenuous this whole thing is. Um, this, it, it, I think people just weren't aware. <laughs> people who don't know about sport didn't really understand when I said, well, you know, when I, or earlier on, when I tell people, well, you know, males are self-identifying to women's sports, that's not going to be a good thing. Oh, they shrug their shoulders. Yeah, it can't be that bad. When they're seeing Leah Thomas, six foot three frame and all the advantages and the low voice and just competing against the other, the female athletes, it was very clear what was going on there. And I think it really did help our case quite a bit. Okay. Yeah, like, I was just curious about that. Um, like I said, yeah, I no, it's you... huge, huge uh, contribution to my argument, actually. Like I, said, I don't want to keep you too, too much longer, but if you wouldn't mind like talking a little bit about your book uh, and let people yeah. know where they can get a hold of you and uh, where they can get the book and everything, and I'll put all the links in the description. Sure, no, no, that's fine. Um, so the book is um, Unsporting, How Transactivism and Science Denial Are Destroying Sport, and it's written by myself, Linda Blade, and Barbara Kay journalist living in Montreal, as you probably are well aware. Mm -hmm. And um, just, um, just, I go right into about what, you know, how the Olympics used to be. <laughs> it was supposed to be about fair play and, and how women's sport came through and, and where we are today and all the, all the effort we've taken to have women participating in the Olympics. Um, and then just kind of how, how this transactivism started coming in with, you know, um, with the different, like the track and field, uh, the, the, the two male athletes in Connecticut and, and then Zuby, I brought up the Zuby thing when <laughs> Zuby lifted that weight and how that kind of sparked a huge, uh, awareness there. And, um, just how, what's, how the Canadian system has worked with this Canadian center for ethics and sport, uh, and how we need to hold the gatekeepers of sport under scrutiny. Like we need to be able to hold them to account. Um, they sit in the back rooms, make these rules, but a lot of times we don't hold them to account. And then I talk about the world rugby situation because that really helped a lot when the world rugby said that in elite women's rugby, it has to be female only. That helped a lot in 2020. Um, and then um, talked about how intersex, you know, the trans like to ride in on the intersex um, situation and that's completely different. So I have a chapter distinguishing what the intersex situation is about versus the trans. And then the, the final chapter is about um, 
about Biden and, and how he wanted to change, how he wants to change Title IX to instead of being fairness on the basis of sex, uh, equality for women on the basis of sex, now he wants to make it on the basis of gender identity. So that's going <clears> to <throat> still threatens to change a lot of uh, all of sport. And just in closing to this particular interview, the good news is that um, now there's a new group because of the Leah Thomas situation. There's a new group being formed called Icons, um, which are the mothers of the girls who were really frustrated, who did, weren't saying anything or were too afraid to say anything during that time, during, you know, about six months ago. But now they're coming together and forming this massive group of parents and ex-NC2A athletes like myself to advocate to keep Title IX sex-based. So that's really cool. That's good. Just one yeah. last thing. When you mentioned <clears throat> the Olympics, I just remember. Yeah. I, I'm going to probably forget her name, but she was a synchronized swimmer in Canada. I think it was Carolyn Waldo. Yeah. She, she'd gone to my high school, <clears throat> but then, you know, she'd gone off to college and university and that's when mm-hmm. she went to the Olympics. But she came back and I remember her telling us that, you know, well, I had to get tested to prove that I'm female, blah, blah, blah. blah. And she yeah. was going on about how, like, now I've got a certificate that proves I'm female. And that was from the Olympics. Hey. <laughs> and that I was like in, that. that was in like 86, I guess, or maybe 87. Yeah, 87 so, or 88. Yeah. Well, I, I know it had to be before 87 because that's when I got out of high school. So it was around that time. Okay. So it must have been 84. Oh yeah, it, it was it after the like it wasn't like immediately after the like so it's some yeah, but I'm trying to remember when she came to high school. It was after the '84 Olympics, I guess. Yeah, but it was yeah, it must have been know, yeah, but yeah, it was just. But that's it, that's we need to get back to that, and you know all that was, and everybody tries to act like oh this is some horrifying sex mm-hmm. test. No, it isn't. They take <clears throat> they take. Sorry, I've had a bit mm-hmm. of a cold here, so I'm just going to clear my throat. <clears throat> they had um, they take a um, a Q-tip. And you just open your, they put it inside and swab your cheek. So you just take a little sample of your, like just, they swab the inside of your mouth, like just the cheek. And so some skin cells come off on the Q-tip. You put the Q-tip into a a test tube and it'll tell you, you know, whether the X chromosomes are there or not. And there was nothing humiliating or demeaning about that test. And now they're trying to act like, Oh, we can't do the sex testing. It was horrific. People were looking at genitals. No, they weren't. They did that one time in the 1960s. I cover that in my book, but the rest of the time it was only this cheek swab. And yet they'll talk about how terrible this cheek swab test was and how humiliating that is for people because they know they don't want that back. Cause then we do need to verify that who the females are. And, and they stopped doing it after 1996, and we need to bring it back. Um, but they'll never talk about the P test you have to do after you finish competing, where you have to do the drug, the doping control. You have to produce at least, you know, um, well, you have to have like this whole cup of pee that you produce, especially when you're dehydrated. That's very hard after a race. And you have to be in the, the toilet, in the bathroom stall with a nurse watching you pee. Because in, in the old days, the Russians would bring in bladders with like other people's urine to put in there. So you actually, the most humiliating part of any um, competitive international event is getting the doping control test. And yet that still continues. You still have to produce the, you know, the urine for the urine, con- uh, for the doping control. That's far more invasive, far more humiliating than just having a Q-tip scrape your cheek. So anybody who says 
that oh we have to oh this is barbaric that we have to go back to the to the sex testing it they're just they don't know what they're talking about well once again linda thank you very much for coming on that was great talking to you <laughs> thanks thanks obed i appreciate it it was yeah. really nice talking to you thanks a lot again and really nice talking to you yeah. thanks everyone for listening all, all right back. take care